Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Today we are in Psalm 119, the first eight verses. Um, To those of you who are in Sunday school, I promise you that while there is overlap, Bruce and I don't collaborate throughout the week on what we're going to teach. For those of you that aren't in Sunday school, please come. Bruce does an amazing job uh, teaching us God's word um, through the adult quarterly. Um, But it is, I do find it interesting how the spirit kind of brings us together, sometimes hitting and, and highlighting the same things, even in different passages, reminding us that this is a, a this is the word of God. It is not only complete, but it is also um, in agreement in all the different parts. Um, but as we consider God's word, let us have open hearts and open minds. We are today in Psalm 119, beginning in verse one. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Let us pray. God above, we come before you again in prayer. We praise you for you have given us your word to be a lamp to our feet, to be a light to our path. Your word is perfect. It gives life. Your word is trustworthy brings wisdom to those who study it. Your word is pure and gives light to the eyes of those who cherish it. Help us to learn to lean on you. Help us to build a desire in our hearts to learn and to live out your word. May we be cleansed, enlivened, and made wise through the word that is proclaimed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Who wants to be happy? Or maybe another way to ask it is, who doesn't want to be happy? We even have the idea of happiness encoded in our founding documents. One of the inalienable rights assured to us by our Creator is the pursuit of happiness. But where is this happiness to be found? Many people pursue happiness, but how and where do you find the happiness that many of us pursue is a question that a lot of people can't answer. This pursuit is not something that is new to humanity with the writing of the Declaration of Independence. It is a pursuit as old as time. One way to look at Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is to see him saying to them, God does not want you to be happy. That's why he forbade you to eat the fruit. The psalm that we will be looking at over the next few months does answer the question, where can I find happiness? Happiness or blessedness in the Bible is typically given in response to something that the man or woman of God does. In fact, the happy life is a holy life marked by knowledge of and obedience to the word of God. Psalm 119, 1-8 will highlight for us the characteristics of those who receive blessing or happiness 
and the dependence, the utter dependence needed in order to obtain both the blessedness and those characteristics. First, what are the characteristics of those who are blessed or happy? The first three verses of Psalm 119 give us a picture of the life of the blessed person. Now, you will find as we go throughout this psalm that the happiness is not necessarily defined for us. The blessedness is not defined for us. The sense of well-being or contentment that expresses itself either in exuberant joy or peace in turmoil is something that you see as you consider the rest of Scripture. Psalm 119, while it it declares those to be blessed or happy that, that meet these criteria, it is not necessarily focused on the happiness, but by the means by which a human being can find that blessedness in this world. Today and throughout our study, you will see that the happy life is that holy life that is marked by learning and by living what you learn from the word of God. Now, in these first three verses, we do see three characteristics of the blessed person. Now, the first characteristic that we see is that the blessed person, the happy person, is one who walks according to the law of God, or as verse three says it, walk in his ways. Now, what does it mean to walk according to the law of God or walk in his ways? We, we see the answer to that question in the parallelism of these two verses. Now, if you have a modern translation of the scriptures, you'll notice that the Psalms are kind of given to us in, in anywhere from two to four line verses. And the second line is, and sometimes the third or fourth line is sometimes indented. There's a whole nother phrase. And this shows us a parallelism that helps us to understand what is stated in the first statement. So the first verse says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? Well, it means that we walk according to the law of God. Verse three, it says they do nothing wrong. And the parallel statement fills that out for us to say that they walk in his ways. And so to walk according to the law of the Lord, to to walk in God's ways means that you are blameless and you do nothing wrong. Now, what does this word blameless mean? This word blameless does not mean perfect. We are told in Job chapter one that Job is described by God himself to be blameless. And yet we know from Job's on Job's own confessions and admissions throughout the rest of the book that he is not perfect. He is not sinless. So what does blameless mean? Well, it's a word that has its root in integrity and wholeness. It's a word that means a, a lifestyle marked by the ordering of life according to the law or instructions of God. In many ways, Psalm 119 has parallels to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is concerned with knowing what God determines to be wise and then living it out. So to be blameless means to seek to order the path of your life according to God's instructions, according to God's laws, to walk according to the law or instruction of the Lord. 
It also means that they do nothing wrong as they walk in his ways. And once again, this word is not a perfection word. It is a lifestyle word. When it says they do nothing wrong, it means they seek to live a life of integrity and blamelessness. As we read in 1 John earlier today, those who love God are those who do not continue to walk in sin. Those who seek to live a holy life. When, when, the, when the psalmist describes a blessed person as one who walks according to God's ways, he is describing a way of life, a pattern of life. In 1 Timothy 3, there's a list of qualifications for service as elders and deacons within the church. If you take some time, whether it's this week or this month, and I encourage you to, to, to read through and to study those lists, that list of qualifications, you will see that they are all qualities of people of good character. They are qualities of men who have sought to order their lives according to the standards of holiness that God has provided for us in his word. And some commentators point out that these are qualities that all of you, all of us should strive to live by, even if you are never called upon by God and the church to serve in official offices within the church. So the first characteristic of those who are blessed with happiness from God, the first characteristic is that they walk in God's ways according to his laws. Secondly, they keep God's statutes. We see there in the first half of verse two, blessed are they who keep his statutes. Now, statutes in verse two is the word that describes covenant obligations that are written or etched in stone. The noun form of that verb is used in Exodus to describe the tablets that Moses carried down Mount Sinai at the establishment of the covenant with Israel and God. This use of this word here is to remind us that while all of the Bible serves as God's instructions for a holy and happy life, he does have rules and laws that are, quote, written in stone for all of humanity to follow. Sometimes as at Mount Sinai or in the walls of many of our courthouses here in America, they are literally written in stone for all to see. Other times they are written on either stony or living flesh-like hearts as an internal witness against us before a holy and a just God. But the blessed person is the one who keeps God's statutes. And this word keep can be translated both as guard and as obey. You and I are called to guard and to obey the statutes of God. How do we guard the statutes of God? Deuteronomy 6 instructs the fathers and mothers in Israel to always keep God's law in their thoughts in their sight, and also to teach that law to their children. In your life, part of guarding God's law is to know and study that law and to pass it along to your children, to your grandchildren, to the children that God brings into the fellowship of his church. But how do we obey God's statutes? Well, in the power of Christ for the children of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you are tempted, you turn from temptation and you choose righteousness, you choose holiness. In your life, you will be tempted to lie. And yet when tempted to lie, you seek truth 
above the convenience of a lie. When you are tempted to covet what others have, you turn toward contentment rather than coveting. The blessed person walks in God's ways and they keep the statutes of God. And thirdly, we see in the second half of verse 2 that the blessed person seeks God with all their heart. Warren Wearsby describes seeking God in this way, quote, seeking God means hearing God's voice in his word, loving him more and wanting to delight in his heart and to please him. It means wholehearted surrender to him and an unwillingness to let any rival love to enter. Seeking God with your whole heart is the work of turning your will, your affections, your desires to be in tune with the new regenerate heart that has been given to you through the Holy Spirit. You and I subjugate our affections to love the things that God loves. You and I shape our will to choose the holiness that God calls us to whether the, rather than the pleasures of sin. And you and I transform our desires to want the things that God wants. That is what it means to seek the Lord with all your heart. Now, verse four summarizes these three characteristics and gives us the whole of the matter, both for this section and all of Psalm 119. You, there is God. It says you have laid down precepts that are to be fully or deeply obeyed. That word precepts there is the word that is uh, translated in other places as righteous decrees. It's God's spoken word. God has given us his righteous decrees and he expects, no, he commands that these decrees be obeyed. And not only are they to be obeyed, they are to be diligently, fully and deeply obeyed. The obedience that God commands is not merely an outward conformity to some legalistic standard. The obedience should shoot straight through to your heart. Consider the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus oftentimes says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, do not murder. But I tell you that if you lust in your heart, you are guilty of adultery. If you harbor anger in your heart and call people names out of anger, even under your breath, you are guilty of murder. We are to obey in the heart as much as we do in our actions. If you seek God, if you keep his statutes and if you walk according to his ways, there will necessarily proceed all of that a heart change worked by Jesus on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit as he applies that work of regeneration to the Christian. You won't merely look squeaky clean on the outside. You will also be cleansed in the inner man. The blessed man or woman is characterized by their walk their obedience, and their seeking for God. But the blessed man is also utterly dependent upon God for those things. Now, if you notice between verse 3 and 4, there is a shift in what we call the person of the psalm. English grammar, I know, hang out with me for just a second. It'll be a quick grammar lesson. English grammar has three persons as you address. First person is me. Mine, I, those are the pronouns that we use when we're talking in the first person. 
The third person speaks of them. She, him, them, herself, himself. The second person focuses on direct address to a specific person or a specific group of people. And the second person personal pronoun is the word you. And you'll notice that in verses one through three, the psalmist is describing a group of people in third person pronouns. But notice the shift in verse four. You, that second person personal pronoun of address directly to God, not only marks verse four, but will mark most of the next 173 verses of Psalm 119. And it reminds us that Psalm 119 is a prayer. It is a prayer to God, thanking him for his word with all of the eight different words that he uses to speak about God's revealed will in his scriptures, but also asking God to, to, to work in the heart of the psalmist and to work in your heart and my heart the desire to study and the desire to obey that is necessary to live the blessed life. The psalmist is utterly dependent upon God, not only for the blessedness, but for the strength, the power, the desire to pursue that blessedness. He he declares that, God, you have laid down these precepts. He is convicted by his utter inability to keep those precepts, and he says... Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. That's a prayer. That's a begging prayer right there. As he goes to God and he says, Lord, you, you, you call me to walk in your ways, in your law, in your precepts. You call me to seek you with all of my heart. You call me to keep your written law. I wish I were capable of that. Come upon me, make me steadfast, establish me in your way, establish me in your truth, establish me in obedience to your law. And the rest of the psalm is an extension on that prayer. Thanking God for his word and asking God, work in me your obedience. The psalmist is devastated by the revelation of verse four. God demands obedience to his law and the psalmist realizes that he is utterly incapable of being the person who will be happy according to God's calls. It's a tremendous reminder for you and for me that that you are dependent upon God for all of our Christian life. It seems as though the prevailing model in the American church is a model that looks like this. God saves me. And now that God has saved me, I got this. I'll make myself holy. I'll keep myself in God's favor and I will see myself to heaven. Brothers and sisters, your entry into the family of God, your security within the family of God, your pursuit of holiness your future justification are all utterly dependent 
upon the grace and mercy of God. You cannot do it yourself. We are called into salvation through the work of God. We are called to work out our salvation only as far as God is working in our hearts and our lives to lead us to holiness. You and I are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enlighten even the word as we study and to empower your pursuit of holiness in this life. The same sense of surrender that marks your entrance into the family of God should mark your daily pursuit of holiness. It's not a let go and let God. But it is a work, a striving for holiness in utter dependence upon God for the results. As he works in you through the Holy Spirit, think of the story of a medieval bricklayer working on a cathedral If the completion of the cathedral were dependent upon him, it would be a fool's errand. But the bricklayer doesn't have to worry about the weight of completing the entire project. The project is bigger than him and is dependent on so much more than him so he can focus on laying each brick to the best of his ability, knowing that the outcome is sure because the forces outside of himself will see the work to completion. That is what the Christian life is like. We work knowing that we are dependent upon God for the completion of our holiness. The psalmist further highlights his dependence upon God with the plea in verse 8. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The word forsake can take on two meanings. On the one hand, to utterly forsake could mean that God would leave him in his sin and the condemnation that they bring. And based on the rest of the psalm, this is likely not what the psalmist here is fearful of. Because on the other hand, to utterly forsake could mean to abandon the psalmist to discipline because he is disobedient. Now, this psalm could be crushing to you and I if we don't understand several things about this psalm and about this passage. As we will see as we study throughout the rest of the psalm, at least 11 times in the psalm, the psalmist admits that he does not keep the will of God, the law of God perfectly. He does not live up to the standard of verse four. You have laid down your precepts that are to be fully and deeply obeyed. The psalmist admits his failure. Secondly, the psalm is crushing if we don't understand that it is God who gives the answer. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27 says this, God is speaking through Ezekiel. He says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and move you to be careful to keep my laws. The psalmist prays the prayer. Oh, Lord, would you establish me in your laws and lead me to obedience, knowing that God will answer that prayer. And thirdly, for the child of God, even as we struggle with obedience and knowledge of God's law, God sees us as righteous in the work of Christ. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14, we hear God describing David to Solomon in these words. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. 
God said those words to Solomon. Anybody know who Solomon's mom was? Bathsheba. Anybody know how David met Bathsheba? He had an affair with her and then he murdered her husband. And yet, God describes David as one who kept and obeyed his commands. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are are accepted by God as those who keep his commands, even when we fail. In Christ, we are rooted and established in this pattern of learning and living the will of God. Now, verse six and seven highlight a couple benefits that come along with happiness to to the psalmist. If he is established in obeying God's decrees, he will not be put to shame when he stands before God um, and also as he studies to live. And he will praise God with an upright heart as he learns his righteous law. Do you notice that? That that learning God's law leads the psalmist to both prayer and praise? Do you praise God as you learn and study his law? Most of us get that sense of conviction that comes upon us as the Holy Spirit shines his light upon the word, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time. But do we praise God for the salvation given? that we are utterly dependent upon him for as we study these laws and these decrees? Do we go to him in prayer and say, Lord, I I cannot do this without your help. I am dependent upon you for salvation and for sanctification. See, brothers and sisters, as you understand your dependence upon God for success in the pursuit of holiness, you will give him praise when you will succeed and you will turn to him in repentance as you fail. The psalmist gives us the characteristics of those who are blessed by God. They walk in his ways. They keep his laws. They seek him with their whole heart. The psalmist shows us our utter dependence upon God for this learning and living as God's people. As you move forward, as as you and I move forward in this study, we and I need to keep three things in mind. The first obedience that you must give to God is the obedience of belief we had continued in 1 John chapter 3 earlier on down to verse 23, we would hear these words, and this is his commandment to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The first command that is upon us is to believe, to accept the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as our only hope before God, to admit our dependence upon him for salvation, Because the pursuit of knowledge of God's law, the pursuit of obedience of God's law will mean nothing to God if we don't have that heart change in place first and foremost. Secondly, to live in holiness, we are utterly dependent upon the power of God to lead you toward that holiness. The Spirit of God will convict you of a law or an instruction that you highlight in your study and as he does, go to God in repentance and petition asking him to grow within you the desire and the power to live before him as holy. And brothers and sisters, as we consider this call to learning and living in holiness, know that in Christ you are holy, you are chosen, you are beloved. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words that remind us of the call upon our life. We thank you that you have provided your law to draw us near to you for salvation and also to give us the path of holiness that we are called to walk in. 
Establish each and every one of us in this room in your law, in your holiness, so that when we stand before you, we may not be ashamed of the life that you have called us to. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, take this blessing upon you. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for God shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.